Thank you for listening to the Writers Guild of Alberta podcasts. The following episode was recorded in 2020 as part of the WGA's online reading series, sponsored by the Rosé Foundation. The audio quality may differ from recording to recording. We want to thank the authors and hosts for their permission to share these audio-only episodes with you, and thank the Rosé Foundation again for their generous support. All right. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Writers Guild of Alberta's online reading series. I hope you and your families are all happy, healthy, and safe, and that you're ready for a fantastic evening. We have uh, quite a treat for you. Uh, my name is Paul Pearson, and I am your host for this evening. Uh, I'm speaking to you now from Miskwaskahegan, or Edmonton, on Treaty 6 territory, which is the traditional gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Blackfoot, Métis, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Dene, Ojibwe, Soto, and Anishinaabe, Inuit, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant community. One of the responsibilities of someone currently living in Treaty 6 territory is to recognize that I am, that we all are, uh, treaty people. And so we need to do our best to understand what treaty means and to learn the history and worldview of the Indigenous peoples uh, I, just, I just mentioned. Uh, on that note, I want to give a shout out right now to Terry Sungens and Amber Dion for their fantastic podcast, Two Crees in a Pod. Um, on the surface, this podcast is a resource for students in post-secondary social work programs. But as you can imagine, that's just a starting point for some much deeper discussions and learnings. Uh, I heartily encourage you to check it out. It is uh, both educational and, uh, and entertaining. Before we bring Kat Cameron on, I'd like to thank the Writers Guild of Alberta for putting this series on um, and give out a huge thanks to the Rosé Foundation for providing generous funding to make this series happen. These are interesting and not altogether awesome times, especially for people who live by sharing their art with other people, often in person. Um, the opportunity to connect writers and readers online when we can't do it in person is sorely needed and very, very much appreciated. Now, to our reader, Kat Cameron. Um, the things you prob probably already know about Kat are that she is the author of two collections of poetry, Ghosts Still Linger, published by the University of Alberta Press in 2020, and Strange Labyrinth, her short story collection, uh, and Strange Labyrinth, sorry. Her short story collection, The Eater of Dreams, was shortlisted for the 2020 Danuta Gleed Literary Award. You probably also know that she has published poetry and stories in numerous journals and anthologies, including Beyond Forgetting, Celebrating 100 Years of Al Purdy, CV2, Descant, Grain, New Forum, Room, and 40 Below, Volume 2. You probably also know that her short story, Dancing the Requiem, won Prairie Fire's 2018 fiction contest. And finally, I'm sure you already know that Kate lives in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory and teaches writing at Concordia University uh, of Edmonton. Two things you may not know about Kat is that she was born in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, and that she spent two years teaching ESL in Japan, uh, something uh, that she goes into in her novel, which is a fantastic read. Um, one other thing I know for sure, one thing I know for sure about Kat is that this latest book that we're going to hear from tonight, Ghosts Still Linger, is absolutely brilliant uh and you are going to love it so everyone cat cameron so thank you paul so much for hosting this event and i want to thank everyone who has organized the writers uh, guild of alberta reading series jason lee norman georgia severini sadie mcgillivray it's just a fantastic 
um, opportunity for writers, especially writers who have lost um, their opportunity to launch their book, as I was supposed to do in uh, March. And before I start reading, I'd like to give a huge thanks to all the people at the University of Alberta Press for publishing Ghost Still Lingers. Douglas Hildebrand, Matt Bunton, Kathy Crooks, Monica Egali, Duncan Turner, you all contributed so much to help me create this book. Thanks to Alan Brownoff for this fabulous cover, which I love so much. Just it encaps encapsulates the book. And immense gratitude to Jenna Butler, who was my wonderful editor. She is so knowledgeable and so supportive, and it was a joy working with her. So there are three sections in Ghost Still Linger, and I'll read a few poems from each section. Usually at around this time of the year, I'm either on the Folk Festival Hill or I'm recovering from four days on the Folk Festival Hill. So I thought I'd begin with a poem dedicated to John Mann from Spirit of the West. Lament for John Mann. His words are gone, eaten by Alzheimer's. Remember running from stage to stage? Hula girls swirling, dust on our feet, dragonflies darting. The way he danced, flailing, joyous. Canada mourns for one bard sinking down into darkness, scalp tickets in Kingston. But I am grieving the last Commodore concert when he read his words from an iPad screen. Remember dancing to the beat of the Bodron? His words are gone, but John Mann dances. So the first section is a number of elegies, personal elegies. And so the next poem I'm going to read was written for my aunt who died of cancer. Blue Scarf. Before the funeral, her daughters invite us into the bedroom. Heaped high on the bed are all the scarves she'd worn. Blue cotton, red silk, purple polyester, bright twisted yarn, green and white checks, printed birds and flowers. I remember the summer of 2000, the square kerchief printed with the Canadian flag. When we arrived in South River, B came out on the deck, her hair thinned by chemo, hidden under the flag. On Canada Day, surrounded by grandchildren, she is the center of every picture, smiling, her arthritic hands bent backwards at the wrist. I choose a blue, the color of her eyes. Later in the church, each niece is wrapped in the sign of mourning. And so the second section is titled Alberta Advantage. And it's a series of poems uh, written to document both the beauty of the Alberta landscape and the loss that we are experiencing. And I'll start with Athabasca Glacier, which documents uh, the receding glaciers. In 2014, I saw an exhibit of Lauren Harris's paintings and Byron Harmon's photographs at the Art Gallery of Alberta. 
So this poem was written in response to that exhibit and to a trip that I took to the Athabasca Glacier. Athabasca Glacier, 1924. Blue. Harris saw blue. Sheets of blue ice, colossal geometry, a triangle, a rhomboid. On a blank page of snow, he slashed lines of primal color, more than a glacier, primitive, mysteries encapsulating form. His indigo glows. White. A photograph of the six-week expedition shows four pack horses crossing an expanse of clear white, horses hawk deep in snow led by a silhouetted cowboy in chaps. Harmon composed the shot in f-stops, white made visible by the crenellations of the dark peaks behind, a bowl of light spilling outward to fill the frame. Gray. We saw gray, an ancient tortoise shell scored with lines and fissures dated concrete markers mapping an accelerating glacial retreat. The ice cracks and shrinks, disappearing into memory. So from Athabasca, I'll move to the Kananaskis area. My family spent most of their summers in the Kananaskis area. And so this next poem was written from my father who taught me to canoe. Cake Country. The lower lake, glacier rice runoff icy on my feet, holding the canoe as dad balanced his way back to the stern. My sister sat on the life jacket in the thwart and I stepped in at the bow, pushing off with my paddle's grip, soft moss cushioning the keel. We paddled to the drowned caves, the washed out dens of disinherited bears, banished by the dam's flood, white ghosts of tree stumps submerged below our wake, the smooth pull, water dripping from the blades, and the curlew's call echoing from the shore. Years later, I brought a friend to Kay Country. We went canoeing an August day. The lake is still as in past years. Nothing had changed a mountain sky clear in the moment between storms. And he asked, do you feel lucky? I knew he meant all this, the cabin, the lake, the parents who taught me to canoe, the mountains cradling this place. And in the Kananaskis area, they set up wildlife cameras that um, track the animals going by, lynx and bear. And so this next poem was inspired by a very curious moose. Moose photobomb. One round brown eye looming in the lens. The mountain's comic clown. Shaggy eyebrows, snout elongated like a tuba, lanky legs, tottery with a teenager's knobby joints the stumble butt of nature's sitcoms. Give us a wink. You're in on the joke. You know we're watching. Put on a show. 
So my family has a fairly long connection in Alberta. Uh, my great great grandparents settled in the um, Red Deer area in uh, 1891 and they traveled from to Calgary by train and then they took wagons from um, Calgary up to um, Innisfil and Red Deer. So they drove up, they went along the old North Trail and I have driven that route. So that this poem documents that trip back in time. Old North Trail. I will drive now to Innisfail and stay at the Super 8 Motel where old men smoke darts dispensed from vintage vending machines in the stagecoach saloon paneled in knotty pine and the road crews swill big rock beer and dream of their wives in double wide trailers set in yards overgrown with lilacs and carragana. I will drive up the old North Trail, the same trail my great-great-grandparents followed in 1891, that spring the Red Deer River flooded, the men missed the ford and foundered, a horse drowned and a loaded wagon floated downstream with a young man clinging to his possessions. The silted river flows into the present, and at the Innisfil Rodeo, farmers decked out in check shirts, cowboy hats, and jeans sit in the bleachers, forecasting the barometer in Swedish, French, English, and German, and their kids perch on the rails and pet the horses, and the parking lot behind the grounds is crammed with millions of dollars in fifth wheels and RVs from cattle and oil in God's country. So I thought I can't read a poem about Alberta without reading a poem about hockey. So this is my hockey poem and it's dedicated to all of the disappointed Oilers fans. Oilers Nation. Rig pigs and kids in orange and blue vestments jam Churchill Square in their thousands. An exhilarated mass of playoff celebration. Hockey their religion, the arena their temple. Breathing together, an hour of cheering, symbiosis of vowels. Hours later, the acolytes gather in the forum. Mosaic floor shaking with their stamping. He shoots, he scores their call and response. And when the game ends and the season is over, they're still believing this time next year. And I'll end this section with uh, a poem for Edmonton and Calgary. Y-E-G slash Y-Y-C. Two dust dry boom towns. Tyrannosaurus, Brontosaurus, Albertosaurus. Two frontier cowboys trying to piss on the biggest territory. Long-legged construction cranes stalk prairie horizons. And so the final section of the book was written after my husband and I took a trip to Wyoming in 2013. And we were going to Devil's Tower but on the way, we stopped in Cody, Wyoming, and um, there's a museum there that has artifacts of Buffalo Bill 
and his wife and his children and Annie Oakley. And at the museum, I saw Annie's hat and one of her guns and the glass targets that she would shoot um, in the air. So they were glass balls and they were about the size of, of two fists and they would fill them with sawdust and feathers. And then they would fire them into the air and Annie would shoot them down. And so that um, exhibit inspired the Annie Oakley poems. And of course it's, it's Annie Oakley on the, on the front cover of my book. Little sure shot. Annie Oakley Butler, 1860 to 1926. Born Phoebe Ann Mosey in a log cabin, sixth of nine children. Two sisters died. One brother died. Her father, caught in a blizzard, died. Trapping at seven, hunting at eight, abandoned at nine to a foster family she called the wolves. Starved, mistreated, locked out in the snow. She escaped at 11, found refuge in Dark County Infirmary, learned to read, to embroider, to survive. Met Frank Butler in Cincinnati when she was 15, or 21. In the arena, she shot cigarettes and coins from her trusting husband's hand. Some woman wished she would miss. Miss Annie Oakley dressed like a lady in hand-sewn dresses embroidered in wild roses. Shooting over her shoulder, her eyes fixed on a mirror, she sliced playing cards in half, smashed glass targets shot into the air. 900 in eight hours. At five foot nothing, she was no threat to the men who complimented her on her ladylike manner. Would the act have worked if she hadn't skipped into the arena blowing kisses? If she hadn't done that cute little kick at the end of each show? An image cultivated as carefully as a homesteader's garden. Glass targets in a museum case. They always put woman behind glass. Annie smashed hundreds, amber or cobalt blue, mold blown by Agnew and Brown, exploding in a shower of feathers and sawdust that coated the crowd below. In a shooting contest, she beat Frank Butler by one shot to win a hundred dollar bet. But Annie Get Your Gun changes the story. She loses. Annie, keep breaking those spheres above our heads. Targets clear as glass. No tricks, no lies. Thank you very much. Wow, fantastic. Thank you so much, Kat, for sharing those, those, uh, those poems. Um, if we were doing this in person, um, I would ask everyone to give Kat another huge round of applause for, for, uh, for that reading. That was, that was super great. Um, as it is, we're going to, we're going to do a bit of a Q and A now. 
you are able to participate in the in the Q and A. Uh, I encourage you to uh, enter uh, your question or comments or a shout out in the chat window in YouTube. Um, you do need to be signed in to YouTube using your Google account uh, to do that. However, so um, if you haven't had a chance to to do that yet, uh, that's uh, that's uh, that's what you need to do. Um, and uh, you know, I will. Uh, take any questions that uh, that you have and, and pose them to to Kat. Um, but to to get us started, Kat, could you tell us where did the title come from? Um, I usually have a, a draft title that changes several times. I remember in your reading, you said you start with the title. I end with the title. I go through several titles, and so when I had the entire collection together, I realized that there were ghosts or memories in all three sections. Uh, there were more personal ghosts in the first section. There were sort of ghost memories of the landscape of Alberta as it was in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up in the second section. And then the ghosts of Western history, the, the Annie Oakley and Buffalo Bill family poems in the third sections. And so I went through the book and I actually took the title from one of my poems uh, from Bastille Day. The lines are, despite the coins dropped in metal slots, the ghosts still linger. We cannot buy them off. So um, that's where the, the title came from. And interestingly, I was, I was just reading an article in Rolling Stone this week, um, and the author noted um, humanity's ability to forget the past. So I just wanted to quote a line. Fluidity of memory and a capacity to forget is perhaps the most haunting trait of our species. As history confirms, it allows us to come to terms with any degree of social, moral, or environmental degradation. And that really resonated with me because when I write, um, I often ask myself, who or what do we remember? So trying to remember the ghosts that are still there. So. Wow, there's a lot going on in those in those three small words, eh? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, right on. Um, you talked a little bit about your family's uh, mm -hmm. connection to Alberta, and and of course the Alberta Advantage section of the book focuses on the uh, the Alberta landscape. Um, can you tell us a bit about about your connection with Alberta? Okay, as as you said, I was born in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, but my father's family goes all the way back to 1891 in Alberta. They they were settlers in the Red Deer area, um, and we moved back to Edmonton, well, to Edmonton when I was quite young. So I grew up in Edmonton, and then I've lived in Ontario for several years since then. I was doing um, degrees at the University of New Brunswick, lived in the Maritimes. Uh, I taught in Japan for two years, but I just keep coming back to Alberta. <laughs> so I've been back living in Alberta now for um, 16 years since. So longest time I've been in Alberta since I was quite young. Wow. It does have a certain gravity, doesn't it? Yes, <laughs> it pulls you in. It pulls you back. <laughs> Just when you think you're out. Um, so, I mean, the other half of the book uh, is is about Wyoming. Uh, can you tell mm -hmm. us you know, what the inspiration or or genesis was for those Wyoming poems? The the genesis was the trip that we took to Wyoming with just a ten day driving trip to Wyoming in 2013, and um, 
we hadn't expected to find this museum in Cody, Wyoming. It's an amazing museum. It's got five different sections and part of it is Western history. And so that's where I saw Annie Oakley's hat and her guns. There's a locket that belongs to Buffalo Bill's wife, which I also have a poem about. And the first poem that I wrote um, that was inspired by this trip to the museum was a pair of white satin shoes. And they belonged to Arda Cody, who was Buffalo Bill's oldest daughter. And she, there was a note in the case with the shoes that said she died two months after her wedding. And that was so poignant that um, I wanted to write about her. So I just started doing research about the uh, Buffalo Bills family. So usually, you know, the West is associated with men. You tend to think about Western men's exploits, but I wanted to write about the stories of women of the West, who's often the ones that are forgotten. So that was sort of the genesis of, of this book. That's fantastic. There's something about uh, small town prairie museums as well, like some astonishing discoveries. It's actually, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big museum. It's, it's, it's an amazing museum. They have amazing art. So it's, I would highly recommend a trip to it. It's, it was a, a find. <laughs> nice. I'll add that to the list right on. Uh, switching gears <laughs> a, a, a little bit, uh, this collection is, mm -hmm. it's a very visual collection. So along with explicit references to visual arts and poems like Athabasca Glacier, which which you read, and thank you for reading. I think that's one of my mm -hmm. favorites from from the book, uh, but also Bastille Day, which which you referenced. Um, there's a lot of light in these poems. And, and I think even even more than light, there's a lot of colors, um, which sometimes you don't see mm -hmm. a lot of in, in poems. Um, I'm wondering what role do other art forms play in your own artistic practice? Well, um, I have studied photography. Um, just I'm an amateur, but I, I do enjoy taking photos as a hobby. In terms of the art, my mom's an artist. Uh, so she's a painter. And so there is definitely that influence. Um, you know, there's always been art around and I've been aware of it. And as I said, uh, Athabasca Glacier was inspired by that exhibit at the Art Gallery of Alberta. It was um, actually Lauren Harris and A.Y. Jackson. Uh, traveled out to Jasper in 1924, I think it was, and Byron Harmon photographed the trip. So they had this amazing exhibit of the paintings and then the documentation of the trip too. So that expired it. And also going to the Athabasca Glacier and seeing how much it has changed since 1924, you know, the environmental loss. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I remember visiting visiting it as a as a kid in the mid seventies, and even how much it's changed since since then is is shocking. Yeah, uh, quite. Well, they quite have those they have the markers that you know, yeah. and they're just going back and back and back, every, showing how the glacier is receding every five or ten years, and it's shocking. So yeah, yeah, quite quite distressing, I think. Um, mm -hmm. So you talk about Annie Oakley and you talk about your, your aunt. Um, can you talk to us maybe uh, a bit about the focus of, of women's voices in, in your work? Um, yeah, again, my poetry is often about um, memory. Who do we remember? Whose stories do we tell? Whose voice is heard? So again, 
women's voices are, I feel, are often forgotten. And I wanted to give a voice to the people, the quieter voices that we often don't hear. Um, just for an example, the collection I just finished, just finished my next collection. And again, art ties in because it's uh, about the pre-Raphaelites, but it's about the pre-Raph, part of it is about the pre-Raphaelite models, their muses, uh, Elizabeth Siddell and um, uh, Jane Morris. So the woman that they were painting. And so these are the women, you know, when you think about the, the pre-Raphaelites, you think about the male painters, but the women were also contributing as artists. They were contributing as models. Um, so that's that's an area I'm, I'm just often very interested in, sort of the more forgotten side, the less famous side in uh, often artistic creation. Fantastic. I can hardly wait to uh, to read that. That sounds like a really rich, interesting, uh, interesting approach. Again, a lot um, of research. So the research yeah. is interesting. <laughs> right on. Research is sometimes uh, more fun than trying to write some of the poems. <laughs> Fine. True. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, what surprised me a bit about the book is is there's a lot of disaster in the collection with several of the poems responding to, to natural events. Can you talk a bit about your experience viewing these events and their aftermath through the lens of poetry? Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of things happened in Alberta just while I was writing the collection because I started it in 2013 and that was the year of the Calgary flood. And um, my father is originally from Calgary. My brother lives in Calgary. So I was very aware of the impact of the flood on people. Then there was a drought. Um, and I have a lot of um, relatives, on my, again, on my father's side, farmers. So impacting there. Then there were the two serious forest fire seasons. Um, we went up to Grand Prairie two years ago, right around this time. And the sky literally turned black. Um, and, and then red because of the forest fires coming, the smoke from the forest fires coming in. It was, it was like Mordor, I would, I would say. And then, of course, there was the Fort, Mc, Fort McMurray fire. And then there's also just this accumulative, the, the, gla the glaciers, the other issues. So um, climate change, I feel, is significantly altering the Alberta landscape, and I, I wanted to document the changes, but I didn't just want it to be a poem about um, loss and change. I wanted to document just how beautiful Alberta is and what we are losing, because, you know, as I said, I grew up in Alberta in the 70s and 80s. I kept coming back because, you know, I just love going out into the Alberta countryside, going to the mountains, and we don't want to lose it. So um, it was, there's an awareness there of, of trying to make people think about what we could lose. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's been a tough, tough decade. Yeah, more. yeah, um, it, it seems to have been, definitely. Yeah. And not to be too hyperbolic uh, after, yeah. after Mordor, um, but I mean, we are, in the midst of of another disaster, the the mm -hmm. pandemic, um, and I, I want to ask you, you know, how this has affected your writing. Are you processing any of any of this poetically yet? 
Not in terms of poetry, no. Um, I've written one poem about the pandemic um, since since it started. I mean, for me, it started became came close to home when I when teaching switched to online on March fifteenth. That's when the pandemic was here. Um, so back in April and May, there was of course that crisis in the nursing homes in Quebec, and I don't know if people will remember this picture, but there was an elderly woman who was behind a pane of glass and she had white hair and it was kind of messed. And for some reason that picture really stuck with me, partly because I um, help with the caregiving for my mother who has Parkinson's, but fortunately is at home. And so that photo really tore my heart and I wrote a poem about that. Um, the, the toll that the pandemic is having on, on seniors um, I mean, in Edmonton right now, I think it's 25 people have died at the Southgate Seniors Home. So that's that's the only thing I've written on the poetry side. I did actually have a poem in here, interestingly enough, about a pandemic, which I wrote after I read uh, Claire Tomlin's uh, biography of Peeps, The Unequaled Self. So um, I have... There is a poem in here about a different pandemic, about the um, the plague, Peeps, in the year 1665, wanders the streets during the plague, notes red crosses on doors, bodies removed at night, over 6,000 dead, and he ponders how empty the streets are and melancholy. And when I was rereading that poem um, back in March, in April, it, it suddenly struck home because I thought, because the streets were so empty, it's back to normal in some ways now, but the streets were so empty. And the interesting thing about Peeps is, you know, he says that and then he worries more about um, his loss of income because the courts left London. And so it's very interesting to look at a pandemic that happened 400 years ago, five, yeah, 400 years ago, and see so many of the same issues um, that we're experiencing now that Peeps went through, both the, the, the awareness of the dead. Um, Peeps actually is one of our wonderful documenters of the time, possibly because he could wander the streets. There's some suggestion that because of an illness he had, he was not susceptible to flea bites. So he didn't get the plague. So that's why we have these, um, these uh, his his, po his writing, his documenting of it. So I'm not writing a lot of poetry because I wrote that one. I wrote the poem about the nursing home. I'm actually writing fiction right now set in Tudor England. And of course, Tudor England, you have plague, you have smallpox, and there is an epidemic of influenza in 1562, 1563 that killed a fifth of London. So it's informing my fiction right now. Uh, I'm not able to process it through the poetry. Sometimes for me, poetry happens maybe a year after I've seen something or thought about something. So not through poetry, but I am processing it through fiction. Awesome. So um, I want to know what disease Peeps had that made him uh, immune to flea bites. And I wonder if there's something that can be done for mosquitoes. Uh Possibly. He, um, he had one of the early, um, he had a, a, was it a stone, the stone. And so he had an early surgery and they think that that he had to have, he had a surgery and he survived it amazingly enough. 
And they think that may have been because he was ill for so much of his life that may have affected the fleas. They just didn't want to bite him. <laughs> wow. That's speculation. Uh... We don't know why, but he does seem to have been, um, he, he writes himself that he was fairly, he, he was not immune, but they didn't bite him. They bite someone in the bed next to him, but not him. Somebody who had more, had more blood. Um, an interesting yes, point uh, too. Uh, or it tasted uh, in, better or something. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. An interesting point about, about the difficulty in making a living as an artist back then during a pandemic as it is now. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this is a perfect segue to, to throw another shout out to the Rosé Foundation for supporting this reading series and, mm -hmm. and you know, putting a little bit of change in, in the pockets of, of artists during this, during this time. Um, so we know we know what you're writing right now. Um, mm -hmm. What are you reading right now? Um, actually, I have another. I, I'm reading Guillotine. It's um, it's a book by Eduardo C. Coral. And um, last year in May, I was at uh, Banff, the Banff Poetry Writing Studio, and he was my mentor, one of my mentors uh, in 2019. And so his book documents um, the experiences of people on the um, U.S.-Mexico border. Um, and so he, he's writing, he's an American poet. And it's just stunningly painful, but also haunting work about um, people crossing the borders. As he is, as it says in his bio, he's the son of Mexican immigrants, and he was the author of Slow Lightning. So I kind of like the fact that his first his first book kind of um, has echoes of mine. Um, just to quote a couple of lines, gently he hammers gold into a sentence. Gently the sentence enters me. It's just beautiful work. Wow. And I'm also uh, another book. This one is about extinct animals. Uh, it's by Joanna Lilly. She's a Yukon, she's up in Whitehorse, a Yukon poet. And I was at Sage Hill with her three years ago, I think it was. So it's a, and the, just a beautiful cover. It's a, some, some extinct animal. I'm not sure what it is. I, I love looking at poetry covers. So that's um, another thing I'm reading right now. So I've read that book too. She's a fellow oh, Turnstone author and uh, it is a fantastic oh, yes. book. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right on. Uh, and your book, where mm -hmm. is it currently available? Is, uh, it's, av it's available at Audrey's. It's available through the U of A Press and other other distributors. But yeah, definitely. I know Audrey's has a few copies in right now, so it's available. I'll just you. I notice you have it behind you too. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe so we can ask. Sadie and the Guild to put uh, the names of those those two books, the Joanna Lilly book and the other book of poetry, uh, up in the notes for this, uh, so okay. people can can track them down for them for themselves as as well. So, um, before you know, we we wrap up. Um, I was just wondering if if uh, if you had any final shot uh, thoughts that you wanted to to share with us, or another snippet of poetry, not to put you on the spot, but uh, but um, uh, I could read it. Read another poem. I mean, I could. I'll just read the Peeps poem. <laughs> sure, that would be fantastic. I'll read, I'll read a diary. <laughs> um, so the yeah, this is this is my pandemic poem. 
in written several years ago, <laughs> a diary. And so I am reading Peeps, that hypocrite, blackening his wife's eye and then nipping down to the tavern to fondle Bess, the serving wench, and recording all of it. His morning coffee, books bought, sums earned, his amours written in Latin shorthand, meetings with his patron, Lord Sandwich, such a name, hangovers, the king, prophets turned. Peeps in the year 1665, wanders the streets during the plague, notes red crosses on doors, bodies removed at night, over 6,000 dead, and he ponders how empty the streets are and melancholy. All through the summer, he listens to bells tolling each death, except Quakers and Jews, yet remarks he feels the greatest joy. He exhibits an untroubled conscience. In December, writes, thus ends this year to my great joy. Before he adds up his profits, his estates increase through diligence. He ends, pray God, continue the plague's decrease but only so the court may return. He's a, he's a fascinating character. He's not very likable in some ways, but always interesting. <laughs> there you go, yes. I, and when this year ends to our great pleasure, maybe we'll be able to once again read poetry and share poetry in, in person. Um, I hope so. In the, in the meantime, I want to thank you for the for the fantastic reading tonight, for sharing your poems and and giving us a glimpse of some of the creative work that went on on behind the scenes. Um, everyone, another round of applause for for Cat Cameron. That was that was so good. That about does it for tonight. Um, I'd like to thank Sadie and Jason and uh, and Georgia and and all the fine folks at the Writers Guild for for putting this this series on. Again, thanks to the Rose Foundation for for their for their support. Um, I also like to uh, let you know that the next uh, live online reading in the series is happening on Thursday, August twentieth at seven p.m., uh, where Annette Lapointe is going to read from uh, her book, and this is the cure. Uh, so uh, I encourage you to to uh, check back for that. Uh, my understanding, the guild is also keeping the uh, these videos of of uh, the recordings of all the readings up on their YouTube site. Uh, so uh, feel free to share them with your friends and loved ones, and uh, go out and and buy Cat's book. Uh, you won't regret it, I promise. Thank you, everyone, for for joining in tonight, and uh, and I look forward to to seeing you again in person. Good night. Hey.